Hello there, welcome to episode 201 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill. Hi, how are you doing? Hope you're doing good. Good to have you with us as usual. I'm joined once again for the second week running and the third time overall. Third time lucky. Uh, I don't know what I mean, Sam. don't know what I mean by that, really. Well, um, we'll see, won't we? We'll, I mean, we'll see. see how today's record goes. Maybe it's going to be tremendously unlucky, but I'm here. He's here. There's not a lot you can do now. He's Sam Slight. There he is. How you been, mate? You all right? Nice to see you. Yeah, I've been good. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, always a pleasure to see you as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, been really enjoying, obviously, uh, delving into the albums we're going to be talking about this week, thinking about music in a much more intense way than I have for a long old time uh, and of course we got to do the uh, Around the Fur classic album which was great fun. It bloody was. We'll be talking about all of these things in the next hour and a bit with you in our company. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah as Sam rightly says on this week's show we're going to be talking about new music, new music from Black Midi and from Interpol plus Sam has picked four albums of his own that he believes are worth talking about from Albums that we haven't covered on the show so far this year. They come from FK Twigs, Final Light, Totally Unicorn and Worm Rot. We're going to be talking about reunions of a sort. <laughs> and <laughs> I went to see Pearl Jam and Duran Duran. So I'm going to be talking about that as well. But as Sam rightly pointed out, there is a brand new podcast, a classic album podcast up over on our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and over there you can sign up for the £5 a month tier where you get two classic albums. I know it's been a little while since you've had any. So what I did is I actually just put this classic album up for anyone who signs up for any amount. I was like, fuck it. Do you know what? You've waited a long time for stuff. There hasn't been much on the Patreon page. Everyone deserves to have this classic album. So you have got a classic album that me and Sam did on Around the Fur by Deftones, the 1997 second album from the Sacramento Alternative Metal Legends. My personal favourite Deftones album. I'm not sure you agree with me on that quite, Sam, but you like it all the same, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, as I think I uh, managed to get my point across, you know, Deftones is one of those bands where they basically can do no wrong. You know, maybe there's the old track on one album that i'm not so keen on but yeah broadly just one of the best bands to ever do it and around the fur it might not be my favorite but it's it's very very high in the deftones back catalog yeah i think context obviously plays a massive part and it was the first deftones album that i bought on the day that it was released basically right so you know and being around for them at that time it just it was so fucking exciting, and I hope that that excitement that I had, and so well, both of us had, but certainly for me, a lot of amazing memories to go back to Deftones at Reading in 98, Deftones at the Astoria, Deftones being, being reviewed really quite badly <laughs> by the NME. Yeah. Lot, you know, lots of that stuff. It, it, was, it was really, really fucking cool to do that. I'm really glad that we got another one of those out. And also, I should say as well, if you do sign up for any amount, you can suggest an album for us to do on Rioters Review. Sam and I did actually do a Rioters Review on Ultra by Depeche Mode that came out on Saturday, if you're listening to this podcast as it comes out. And uh, that was really good as well. Again, you know, we're both massive fans of Depeche Mode. And again, the context was quite different because it was, I think I said at the time, like maybe the first Depeche Mode album that I ever bought or you know i was sort of I more believe you said it was yeah, yeah 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 i was more sort of aware of depeche mode and their singles rather than going in on them as an album bad and ultra came out and 
the singles are oh, I was gonna say I was gonna say were but the singles are so fucking great on the album I was like I really should pay a lot more attention to this band and I did and you know the rest I like the Pesh Mode a lot and so do you don't you Sam bloody love them and I think uh revisiting Ultra one of the things that I was really struck by and I think um you know, whether you're a patron or not and you hear this special, I mean, you bloody should be because it's great. But whether you are or not, you should go and listen to Ultra because I think it will catch people off guard and particularly how well it's held up. It doesn't sound like it's dated very much at all, especially when you compare it to some of the other electronic-led albums that were coming out around that time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really doesn't... It sounds so contemporary in the same way as that... I think shit like I don't think we said this in the special but I was thinking about it and I was like shit like the fragile like isn't mm. completely an electronic album but it's not really aged hardly at all has it the fragile it's, it's aged incredibly brilliantly so you know um yeah great band great album really really good to do back up and running on the patreon page patreon.com forward slash right podcast go over there and sign up if you wish right now let's talk about a few little bits of news that have broken in uh, the last week or so since we've been, um, you know, beavering away with all of those specials. Bruce Springsteen's just been confirmed for British Summertime. I just went to the last few days of British Summertime and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But Bruce Springsteen, US, US, UK tour for 2023. Two days at Hyde Park. That feels like a fucking no-brainer to me. Having just Absolutely. experienced what I experienced absolute no-brainer you a springsteen fan at all sam uh i would hesitate to call myself a fan i like what i know i've never really gone full in on springsteen but i mean you know the stuff that everyone knows those kind of ubiquitous songs they are undeniable you know springsteen and he's such a big influence on so much of the particularly midwestern emo stuff that's been really you know doing well in the last few years yeah i think i think you'd be hard pushed to say you didn't like Bruce Springsteen at the very least would love to see a lineup that reflects what you've just said on that British summertime bill so I'd love to get Bruce Springsteen with the Menzingers and the Gaslight mm. Anthem and the Hold Steady and all those kind of bands kind of in one place together all playing this Springsteen-esque music and if it is as sunny as I mean we were in the middle of a, a heat wave at the moment here in the UK or we used to call it summer when I was a kid just call it summer but um it's a heat wave these days because it only lasts for like a couple of days uh so yeah um if it's anything like the weather that we've had for it this year i mean that will be just absolutely fucking incredible so that's cool something else is quite cool last thursday as we were recording this show um i mean this news has been around for a little bit but i just thought i'd bring it up it just was kind of interested in your thoughts on it really is um porno for pyros did their first show in 25 years at the belsco theater in los angeles as we were recording last week um this sort of is the first porno for pyro show because they did actually do a sort of special one-off pornos jane's thing when i think it was dave navarro who got covid and couldn't play Lollapalooza last year so perry farrell just went oh we'll do a porno for pyro set but this is the first sort of official reformed porno for pyro show in 25 years um perry farrell's output as an artist like jane's addiction particularly i mean just perry farrell in general do you have many thoughts on that would you be excited to see a porno for pyro set uh yes i think i would i mean i'm not i wouldn't be chomping at the bit to go and see it because i wouldn't consider myself enough of a fan but i've got so much respect for 
Perry Farrell as an artist, particularly from the Jane's Addiction stuff, you know, I think a, a bit like Springsteen. I think you'd be hard pressed to say that you don't at least like it. I mean, I love Jane's Addiction. Um, surprisingly, for someone who likes Jane's Addiction so much, I've not really checked out his other stuff that much. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely go. Uh, if it doesn't sell out in seconds, like I imagine it probably would. I mean, I don't know where where would they play in the UK? Do you think in the UK? Uh, well, I was going to say. I mean, you know, they're I, they're not as big a draw as Jane's Addiction. Porno for porno. No. There's no way they're as big a draw as Jane's Addiction. Me personally, if you said to me right now, who would you rather see, Jane's Addiction or Porno for Pyro? Having seen Jane's Addiction four or five times in my life. And having never seen Porno for Pyros. And I think that first Porno for Pyro album is wicked. God's Good Urge, uh, I would probably have to revisit it because I didn't really get it so much at the time. Um, but I think they were they were cool. Like, you know, it was just... They are just basically a not quite as good version of Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyro. That's essentially what they are. But having said that, they're like one of the few bands left that were like, oh, they haven't reformed. You know, when you go like, who hasn't reformed? Who hasn't reformed? Fucking everybody's reformed at this point. Caius and Susie and the Banshees, the only two that I kind of have where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they haven't reformed. Um, that really kind of stand out and are obvious that, that kind of could reform. And so I, I don't know, man, like I, I would be excited to see it to a point there's a handful of songs that i would like to see where would they play here in the uk i don't know that concerts and the places where people it's, it's become a weird it's really become a weird uh thing to try and work out over the last few years i think because you see things like who would have ever thought bikini kill would do multiple nights at brixton academy when they split up yeah. like do you know what i mean like back in the nobody talked about bikini kill in the 90s no talked about like you know like they were just another band and then some things reform and you go oh this is going to be absolutely massive and it just sort of feels like refused now mm. i can't really imagine refused are doing are going to do particularly great business you know even after like a two years after they reformed and i think was it no it was 2015 when they played the electric ballroom and they'd gone from two nights at the forum down to one night at the electric ballroom within three years and so now I imagine, like, I mean, I, even I would be a bit like, oh, well, I mean, I did miss them when they supported Thrice or co-headlined, I should say, with <laughs> they Thrice. They were supporting, mate. I can tell you that for it, free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's it's funny that, like, you, it's just the the appetite for reformed bands is massive, but then sometimes it's just it just doesn't it just doesn't take. So I, I think Porn of Papyros would do the Forum or the Roundhouse. That, that was what I was thinking, but obviously I don't really have enough kind of insight into them as a band and their popularity and the hunger for them to really go on a limb and say it. But yeah, I, I think the forum sounds like a sensible shout if they are going to come over here. I would really like them to come over here. And I think, you know, you'd look at Jane's now. For me, Jane's would be a Brixton Academy band, right? Mm. I think Jane's Addiction are a Brixton Academy band because they're, they're not going to be an arena band at this point in the UK. I think that's sort of gone... I think they could probably still do Brixton. Uh, they're not as big. Porno Capiros are not as big as Jane's Addiction. So I think you've got to drop them down a size from that, even if it was the first show in however long. I mean, mm. they did used to do Brixton back in the 90s, Porno Capiros. I think they did do Brixton back in the day, but it was a different time, Sam. It was a different time. A, d a different now. time, a better time. A better time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Sorry, I missed that. But I tell you, you are probably maybe sort of going to reform. 
Rumours breaking this morning as we record that the tour that nobody wants, <laughs> apart from maybe one slightly racist man, Pantera are going to reform. Pantera are going to reform. Uh, Zach Wilde and Charlie Bernate. So Zach Wilde has long been rumoured to be the man who would step into the shoes of Dimebag Daryl if there were a Pantera reunion. That was kind of mooted for, I mean, it's well over a decade that people mm. have been saying that now, isn't it? Well over a decade. Vinnie Paul was always the stumbling block for that. He just went, nah. And fair play to Vinnie because as good as Zach Wilde is, and I'm sure he would be able to play those riffs, something just a little bit off about that, I always think. Now Vinny's died. God rest his soul. A lovely man. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's a lovely man. Charlie Bernate from Anthrax. Far less exciting mm. uh, than, a, than a Zach Wilde re replacing Dimebag, I think. Um, Zach Wilde and Charlie Bernate replacing the Abbott brothers with Rex Brown, fine Rex. You know, I've got, no one's got any beef with Rex, I don't think. And a kind of old, crinkled, used up, and deeply disliked Phil Anselmo. I cannot for the life of me believe that anyone wants this. I think you'd be surprised. I think, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, one, don't know if it's even going to actually happen. I would, I would be more surprised if it happens than if it, you know, than if when it, when and if it does, people turn up and they sell out most of their shows. You know, I think there's enough of an appetite out there. And I think, so I don't know if you saw the other day, um, I don't know his name and I don't really care to know, the guitarist from Disturb. Let's call him Brian Disturb or Dan, whatever. Dan, De Brian Disturb. Dan Donegan, I believe his name oh, is. Oh, cool. Uh, thanks. I didn't need to know that. That's just probably pushed a pin number out of my brain, but cheers. Uh, he's just had a custom guitar made that's the Coca-Cola logo that says, fuck cancel culture. And I think if Pantera come back, unless they can rein in, Phil, I think that'll be the way they bill it. And I think there'll be enough of an appetite for people who are like, oh, bloody woke lefties trying to take away my bloody, oh, my groove metal from the 90s just because he threw a Nazi salute because he was drinking white wine. I think I think it could still sell well. And I think there would be people who would go out of idle curiosity. I think there'd be a lot of people who will object to it on a on a moral or ethical level because of Phil's behaviour. Mm. Oh, definitely they will. Yeah, definitely of course. they will. And look, even if you don't object to it, from a moral standpoint in terms of what phil has become Let, let's let's even park that i mean that's a big thing but let's park that one phil anselmo is washed up now yeah he can't sing he's not in the best shape he's old he's not stronger than all boxing fanatic like leather voiced phil anselmo that, that, that ball that raw that vo it's gone it's fucking gone. So there's that. Then you've also got the fact that, like for me personally, when people say, oh, you can't listen to Pantera, I'm like, well, I've said this loads of times before. Phil Anselmo is not the lead component of Pantera for me. When I think of Pantera, I don't think of Phil Anselmo. I think of the Abbott brothers. That is the thing in Pantera. The groove, Vinny's like pounding, pummeling, really recognisable, Catchy hook-filled drums and Dimebag Daryl. Dimebag's fucking tone, his style, his verve, his panache, his like unique 
thing that he brought to metal at that point that could just completely fucking change the game in metal that is what i think about when i think about pantera and if i'm at home on my own and i feel like listening to some classic metal that i grew up listening to that that reminds me of a really good time in my life i ain't feeling guilty about listening to pantera because i'm not feeling guilty about enjoying the riffs of dimebag daryl or the drumming of vinnie paul and let me tell you for the record unlike a lot of people who just go no nope, pantera they were all shit people like fucking uh, like people love to do this kind of mental gymnastics to stop to try and stop other people from enjoying the music of pantera vinnie paul's one of the nicest people i've ever interviewed ever right i didn't know him very well I'd, to say i know him at all would be like a little bit ott but i interviewed him a couple of times and he was genuinely warm he was genuinely open he seemed to like he remembered me the second time like he's one of the nicest people i've ever interviewed a really warm friendly like and it's and quite a sensitive guy it's like a, like a genuine like quite a sensitive guy we started talking about his brother and he wasn't all you know he wasn't all bravado and he wasn't like that at all he was a really really fucking lovely dude so don't tell me that i can't enjoy the music of those two people i'm going to like fuck you so that's the thing but but even i do not want this i do not want this it's so fucking disrespectful like the, the minute the two that phil didn't get on with or particularly the one that phil didn't get on with the moment they've gone this happens and they are the lead component of pantera you couldn't do our oh, prince is reformed this is the first prince tour in however long what you mean it's the new power generation just playing prince songs with some bloke who you know will get fucking um bruno mars doing prince songs and call it prince if you want to do like he's already done phil has already done pantera songs as his solo thing and people have gone along if you want to do that mate you crack on i don't want to see it particularly like but you crack on don't call it pantera just don't call it pantera like because it's not it's not even close to being pantera it mate it's fucking embarrassing i think this is like really embarrassing it's gone mate it's dead yeah you are fucking damaged goods the main two in the band are dead give it up yeah i mean i think you're spot on it's like it feels like the most kind of obvious and desperate like let's line the coffers like we're out of money now or maybe maybe not we i think probably phil because you know down have been on a hiatus for quite a long time because of his actions seemingly so what's he got he's got the illegals doing their kind of vulgar display set and everything i mean that can't be raking in loads of money and then he's got is he in scour still i don't know one of his extreme metal projects yeah. it's like you know i think it's it's quite blatantly a marketing exercise more than anything and i don't think if they did do it like i don't think people would be going there really to celebrate celebrate the Abbott brothers, like they'd go and they'd enjoy it and they'd be like, God, oh, weren't Vinny and Dime great? They were fucking brilliant, weren't they? But I don't see this as being some sort of, yeah, grand kind of, it's certainly not a reunion and I don't think it'd be a celebration of the legacy of Pantera. I think it'd be quite a damp squib uh, for it to end on. Yeah, it's got fucking, it's got fucking like disaster written all over it, I yeah. think. I, I cannot, I cannot fathom, <laughs> like, I cannot fathom who wants to go and see this. Who do, who doesn't see every single fucking red flag mm. 
like like it is just one massive red flag this whole thing it's like i you know like nothing about this seems like a good idea nothing not one single solitary fucking thing i saw pantera i saw pantera be amazing and i saw them be terrible and when they were amazing it was mainly due to how great dimebags how great all of them were but dimebags were, I was like, oh my god when they were terrible it was entirely down to film mm. And that was 22 years ago. And it was completely Phil's fault. And I've seen Down be good since then, you know. But this is, this is, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I woke up today and I saw it was on, I think it was Rolling Stone tweeted it. And I was like, well, that can't, is this some sort of parody account? What is this? And then I think, you know, there's, it's, you say, you know, oh, it, it probably won't happen. I mean, look. It's pure speculation at the moment because no tour dates have been announced. Nothing's actually been announced. But it's been covered by a lot, a lot of places. And that doesn't usually seem to happen. A lot of outlets are jumping on mm. this. Quite a lot of big outlets as well that don't usually talk about metal have sort of jumped on this. And I'm not sure that they would do that if there wasn't at least something in it. There's got to be sort of something in it, I imagine. Otherwise, it just... I'm not sure it would happen. I'm not sure it would be getting this much traction. It's getting a lot of traction. Worrying. Yeah, I did not know that Rolling Stone would cover this. I mean, I saw it uh, in Metal Injection and Blabbermouth, and I was like, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. But yeah, now you said Rolling Stone, I mean, that does imply, yeah, there's something going on behind the scenes that is being pushed. So we'll see. Although uh, <laughs> I've seen some very amusing reactions to it. There was a uh, one person I saw on Twitter. Fortunately, I can't remember who it was, so I'm not going to call anyone out, but they were saying, Oh, well, that's them headlining download then, isn't it? And it's like, mate, fuck mate, off. No. <laughs> that is the last thing that's going to happen. They might do the second stage at Bloodstock. Maybe the main stage. I think they'd do the main stage at Bloodstock. Maybe the second stage at download. Yeah. I don't yeah, think maybe. they'd be big enough to head. I, I just don't think. I just can't imagine enough people falling for this. For it to be a big deal. Do you know, I think if they'd have got. I think if they'd have done 10 years after Dimebag died and they'd have called it pantera Dimebag celebration 10 year anniversary we miss you thing before phil was really considered like you know bad yeah. news yeah. i think they probably could have got zach in and they probably could have played pretty high up some main stage festival bills mm. but i think this is like about half a step away from david vincent's i am morbid project do you know what i mean the superior morbid angel project <laughs> yeah, the superior morbid angel project i mean you know they're gonna be this you know like they'll be at the fucking electric ballroom by 2027 if they try and carry this shit on yeah like it, yeah. it's not gonna happen it's not gonna ha like well it might happen but it's not gonna it's not gonna catch no i'd be so i'd be surprised say it does happen next year i don't reckon it'd still be going in 2027 I think that's very, very optimistic. Very yeah. optimistic. Yes, very, very optimistic. Uh, anyway, fuck it. Look, Pantera are never coming back, even if they do. So that's my thoughts on it. Let's talk about a few live things. British Summertime, I mentioned, of course, and look forward to going back to that. Next so, you know, I really like British Summertime. I'm actually like, when it was hard rock calling, I wasn't so happy with the sort of setup of the Hyde Park gigs to be honest i felt like it was really quiet 
it felt a little bit disorganized and i always remember being a bit like oh, and the crowd and never that into it and stuff and i was always a bit like mm, not that sure about going to gigs at Hyde park i have massively changed my mind over the last sort of couple of weeks having gone to elton john pearl jam pixies and duran duran and Nile rogers this week it actually was really easy to get in very very well signposted very well staffed plenty of facilities it ended up actually being really good and it sounded good as well i mean that was my biggest complaint i remember going to see soundgarden in 2012 and one of my biggest complaints was it just didn't sound good you know and even like watching rena sawayama supporting elton john i was like well this actually sounds pretty good and then elton sounded really good and kind of ditto for this weekend again you know got in really early this is for the first night of two to see pearl jam and um I basically got in for Pixies, really. Pixies was like the main the main hook for me. And um, I thought they were great. They were fucking great. I mean, Pixies I have seen before. Uh, I saw them playing Surfer Razor in full at the Roundhouse. It was the last time I saw them. That was that was good. And I think actually, in fact, I think that's the only time I've seen them. So I had a little thing where I was like, I wonder if they're going to be contrarians like a lot of alternative rock bands tend to be and they're going to play a lot of new stuff and they actually didn't in fact their post-reformation material from an 18 song set consisted of one song and that song was there's a moon on the forthcoming album doggerel that's from and everything else was like you know eight from doolittle four from surfer rosa three from come on pilgrim and they also did two covers as well they did went along by neil young and head on by by the jesus and mary chain and looking at the set list now like open with cactus here comes your man second song in gouge away head on caribou where is my mind early on in the set vamos mr greaves wave of mutilation went along there's a moon on tame something against you which I did start playing Bone Machine at the start, and then they just fucking binned <laughs> it off. Uh, Isla de Acanta, Monkey's Gone to Heaven, Hey, I've Been Tired, and then ending with Debaser. Like, that is fucking mm. solid. That is solid late 80s, early 90s, indie alt-rock majesty right there. And they fucking look great as well. Like, Frank Black has lost a lot of weight, and his voice still sounds absolutely killer like he still can do that raw and he can hit those pretty high notes that he can hit that he used to be able to hit quite easily he can hit him as well i thought paz formerly of a perfect circle paz lenchantin i believe is how you pronounce her second name you know a lot of people go it's not the pixies it's not the pixies because there's no kim deal well it is the pixies isn't it i mean i know kim deal is a really big part of it but paz basically looks exactly like kim deal she holds her bass exactly like Kim Deal. She's got the same bass tone as Kim Deal. She moves like Kim Deal and she sounds like Kim Deal. She's basically sort of Kim Deal, but 20 years younger. And I know she's not Kim Deal. I might, there might be a few people going, raw, Kim Deal's about raw at me for saying this. But if Kim Deal decides to leave the Pixies, she's the, oh, the perfect replacement and the other three are the other three original members so it's still the fucking pixies it's not not the pixies this is not a no. pantera thing with the pixies like it's, it's, it's not 
and um yeah i thought they were fucking i thought they were really really good really really good and those songs are just so amazing and it was really sunny they were all dressed in white apart from uh david lover in the drummer who had like a green jumper on they all had all white on and looked really uniformed and then he just didn't but then he's always been a bit of an odd gentleman they were slightly loose i have to say i mean there's a bit in the middle of here comes your man where joey santiago's solo just <laughs> completely went to shit and i was a bit like mate You've been playing this song for a long fucking time. How do you not know the solo? Just how have you gone full fucking Nick Jonas on this solo? It's unbelievable. But Pixies were, I have to say, very, very good indeed. And they played the hits. Pearl Jam did not play the hits. They did not give the people exactly what they wanted. I say they didn't play the hits. You know, they played for about two and a bit hours. I think they played for sort of two hours and 20 minutes. And... It came on to All You Need Is Love by the Beatles and they were all sort of singing, everybody was singing. It was really great. Again, you know, the sun was sort of halfway between going down and, and just being and being in it. It was that kind of like twilighty part of the day on a summer's day where it's still light, but it's just a sort of pink looking sky. Everyone was singing. It was really nice. Everyone was having a good time. It just felt really lovely. And Pearl Jam come on and start with Better Man. And that was proper like spine tingling hairs on the back of your neck standing up really really beautiful as soon as that guitar bit from veda comes came in and, and cut through everything it was just you could, you could hear a pin drop and again you know i've been to shows at high park where i felt like the audience were maybe a little bit mm. distracted like a little bit disinterested unless it was the bit you know i remember going to see Sa again the Soundgarden show very frustrating raining didn't sound great surrounded by people who obviously didn't know anything about the band and then waited for black Sun to came to come on and then did a load of selfies and videos of themselves singing it out of tune <laughs> and then fucking um just went back to chatting to each other again but when pearl jam went into better man it was like you could hear a pin drop and then veda's voice sounded fucking incredible absolutely incredible like it's not been ravaged by time at all he just sounds exactly the same as he did back in the, the 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 days of you know like pearl jams i guess commercial peak um so that was an amazing way to open it then you go into low light from uh, from yield and um breath from the single soundtrack mind your manners which is a wicked I, like, I really like mind your manners but it's hardly their biggest song save you from Bino i went with my mate and they played save you from Binaural, and he was just like, oh my God, this is my favourite Pearl Jam song. Oh! And then Quick Escape, In Hiding from a fan um, request, apparently. Retrograde, Light Years. That was the first mm. nine songs. So that's quite a big gap of, of stuff. And from all of that, you know, there are songs in there that I really like. Breath's really good. Like I said, I really like Mind Your Manners. I hadn't really even thought about a song like Save You for God knows how long. But there were people around me and they sort of fell into two camps. You had people who were just sort of like, I don't know what this is. And were a bit like, <laughs> and you could tell they weren't really like, and then you had other people who were just completely aghast at like, oh my God, oh my God, they're playing retrograde. They're playing light years. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, most people are going to get excited when they yeah. play like Jeremy or whatever, but, they, but, but this is Pearl Jam's fan base. You know, Pearl Jam have this, unbelievably hardcore fan base and there were a lot of them in attendance there are also people who came along going oh i've got 10 i think i've heard verses great and those people you could tell were getting a bit foot shuffly but to pearl jam's credit even when they were playing those songs 
they as a band sounded fucking amazing and there's just something about them i think i said it when we spoke about them maybe in the classic album or maybe i think when we first started the podcast i had been to see them at the o2 or renfrey had been to see them but there's something about them as a band particularly something about eddie vedder where he is so incredibly captivating he is so captivating and he just feels like he's walked onto that stage and he's saying the things that are in his head as they like nobody really feels as present and in the moment as eddie vedder nothing felt forced nothing felt fake there was a bit where like i said as the sun was going down the whole sky went pink and he was going okay this next song and the pearl jam went into a song i can't remember what it was now and he looked up at the sky and he went, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, look at that. Look at that sky. Oh, my God. Look at this. It's unbelievable. And he felt really like he was like, oh, that's really beautiful. And you think in the hands of a lot of front men, in the hands of a lot of bands, they wouldn't do that. And if they did, it would feel like a line. It would feel a bit cheesy. But it didn't with Eddie Vedder. It didn't. It felt so fucking genuine. And I think that should be what all bands do. That's what you'd want from all bands. I mean, you know. We've had this conversation on this podcast before. Like, yeah, obviously you can't really get that with Ramstein. Ramstein are too oiled a machine for them to like, you know, you're not going to get a little peek behind the curtain and get Till's humanity. You're going to get like this big show. And that's fine. But when you're a rock band like Pearl Jam and you are basically like drum, bass, vocals, two guitars, I really, I really don't think that, you can do it any better than they do it. And when you get to like the sort of second half of the set, even flow, daughter, given to fly, once, porch, cover of public image by public image limited, uh, Jeremy, indifference, alive, rocking in the free world. By the time you get to Jeremy, indifference, alive, rocking in the free world, like at that point, they had sucked everyone in even when they didn't know the song so when you're hit when you're hitting like the absolute fucking biggest songs of your entire career absolutely incredible fucking incredible and people lost their shit like i managed to get quite near to the front for for that encore bit and um it was amazing and john McEnroe came out and did rocking in the free world with them played guitar on rocking in the free world so uh uh, that was interesting. I'm not quite sure what John McEnroe was doing there. Well, John McEnroe was probably yeah. <laughs> watching Pearl Jam, but then next thing you know, there he is on stage. Amazing scenes. What a lovely surprise. Yeah, what a love. It's exactly who I would have wanted to come out. <laughs> We're doing a Neil Young cover. We've got a special guest coming out. It's John McEnroe. You're like, oh, what, really? Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, you've kind of, you should probably don't say the first bit. Just say, by the way, John McEnroe's here. Yeah, it was good. It was like, it was really, really fucking great. I mean, I would say the first time I ever saw them at the O2 in 2018, I've been waiting a really long time to see them. And that felt right, really, really magical to me. I'm not quite sure if it's quite as good at that, as good as that. It's still just that it was amazing they are so amazing live have you ever seen pearl jam before i haven't no um i'd really like to because um you know as you say just everything that i ever hear about them uh vedder's kind of charisma and ability to make you feel like even when you're in the back of or the well, if you're in the rafters at the o2 or if you're the back of hyde park he it feels like he's talking to you is one you know is the kind of main thing that people say when they're talking about his performance but um yeah, I'd love to go and see them. Uh, they're not a band I absolutely adore. Uh, off the back of yours and Renfrey's classic albums, I thought, you know what, I really should do a deep dive on Pearl Jam. And I tried, 
I respect them as people and musicians and creatives so much more than I like their music. But I would absolutely love to go and see them because it does sound like an exceptional live show. And as you're saying, you know, when you get to that big run of the absolute massive songs and you get people just in this absolute fervour, I mean, hard to deny, isn't it? It's, it's what you want from a good show. Yeah, I mean, they don't even always end like that. I think they normally, I think the next night, because obviously they did two nights and the next night they came out and they, they ended with Barbara O'Reilly and I think they did, um, you know, Do The Evolution, I think was one that I noticed from that set list. I don't mm. have it up in front of me as well, but I know they ended with Barbara O'Reilly instead of Rocking in the Free World and I know they did Do The Evolution and I think they did, they didn't do Jeremy, I think. Okay. I think they didn't do Jeremy and they did Black instead, which, you know. But that's the thing with Pearl Jam is you never know what you're going to get. Mm. get a different kind of set every night it all feels really spontaneous it really feels in the moment they have got loads of great songs i think even if it's stuff like you know there was stuff that they were playing that even i was like uh i'm not that particularly that familiar with that when you get to the kind of like ironically riot act and binaural and that era i i you know i am a little bit less from it like stuff from i don't really know no code that well like i remember listening to it because we did it you know we did verses and then you know vitalogy and then no code came after it and i made a point of going oh, i should listen to no code so i've got a bit of context what happened next and it was much better than i remember it being because i didn't really like it back in the day but i don't really know that album that well i don't really know binaural that well i don't really know um you know riot act that well i only know the first half of like the self-titled backspacer i never really got into lightning bolt i never really got into so there's a bunch of stuff of their career that i'm just not really that familiar with but when they play it live whether you know it or not like they're just so fucking good they're just so good and mike mccready like again shout out mike mccready who is fucking amazing like running round proper guitar hero up and down the stage all the way to the sides and you know putting the solo and behind his head and all this shit like he's amazing love mike mccready love veda love pearl jam it was brilliant but it was all just a just a big build-up, wasn't it, really? Just a big old build-up to Sunday the 10th of July and finally being in the presence of Duran Duran, breathing that rarefied air of Simon Le Bon. Before I get to that, uh, I saw Warm Doucher over on the Hard Rock Calling stage, I believe it's called. Warm Doucher, who I'd seen at Glastonbury. I'd seen a few of the highlights of Glastonbury and I saw Warm Doucher. I was like... They look funny. They remind me a bit of like Electric Six. So I went over to watch Warm Doucher and I quite enjoyed them. They're quite funny. Are you familiar with this band at all, Sam? Um, I've heard the name bandied about, but I don't know for sure that I've listened to them at all. Um, I've certainly seen them getting a fair bit of buzz of late. Uh, yeah, they're sort yeah. of electro synth pop, but with big kind of disco dance rock bass lines and they're very very tongue-in-cheek mm. like everything's a bit sort of hip hip thrusty in a very very ironic way Ooh, like, i thought they were I, yeah <laughs> it's a bit like that it is a bit like kind of ironic sexiness but um you know i thought they were pretty good warm doucher they're pretty good and, and i would check out their album to see if that translates from the live setting onto records because i think if they can make that live show sound as kind of fun and as wild as it does on record and they they are maybe a, a very good band who i wouldn't mind kind of keeping an eye on um no rogers and chic supported duran duran and i was sort of thinking to myself 
yeah, you know, I know a bit of Noel Rogers stuff. Like, you know, I know a bit of chic stuff. But I was a bit like, oh, don't know if I know that much of it. <laughs> Sam, the most hit-filled set list I have ever seen by anybody ever. I have never seen anything like Noel Rogers and Chic. Like, Noel Rogers obviously decided to play every song that he's been involved in. He was like, I don't care if it's not actually a Chic song and it's actually a David Bowie song or a Diana Ross <laughs> song or a Daft Punk song or a Madonna song or a Sister Sledge song. I'm fucking playing it. Check this fucking set list out. Hit me. Chic Cheer by Chic. Dance, Dance, Dance by Chic. Everybody dance. I can't even see. Um, by Chic. I Want Your Love by Chic. And I was like, oh yeah, fuck, these are all Chic songs. Like, like what the fuck? I'm Coming Up and Upside Down by Diana Ross. He's the Greatest Dancer, We Are Family by Sister Sledge. Like a Virgin, Material Girl and then by Madonna and then Modern Love by Bowie. Spacer by Sheila B. Lost in Music by Sister Sledge. My Feet Keep Dancing by Chic. Get Lucky by Daft Punk. My Forbidden Lover, Let's Dance by David Bowie, Le Freak by Chic, and then a medley at the end of Good Times, Under Pressure by Queen, and Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> that is not a band set list. That is a fucking wedding disco. <laughs> it really is. Just needs to end with Mr. That is a it wedding needs to with, uh, Mr. Brightside, surely, just to top it all off. <laughs> I was like, this is absolutely mad. <laughs> This is the maddest shit I've ever seen. I was like, he can't have... Did he do this as well? Did he do... He did fucking Material Girl. That's unbelievable. Like, honestly, I, I sort of went in going, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Noel Rogers. It was fucking amazing. It was... Um, it's, it is, and I'm not even fucking around, right? It's one of the best support slots. I've... I, it is as good as System of a Down supporting Slayer and Sepultura in, in 1998 on their first album i always look at that and I go that is one of the great support slots i've ever seen ever it was like that i mean you just <laughs> cannot fuck with those songs was, was you it you cannot like, fuck was it like supporting well, slayer it wasn't really it was a bit different but in terms of how good in, in terms of just standing there and going i can't believe this i can't believe it like honestly man i have never seen anyone ever in my life do more where you just go you know this song 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 you know you know every word to this song you have heard, this song is imprinted in your brain 16 times on the trot i mean i say 16 times they've counted some of these on the set list as a fucking medley so it's actually 22 times on the trot because he basically played something of 22 songs and he even did a bit of even chucked in a bit of getting jiggy with it by will smith at one point which i haven't even put on the set list absolutely off the fucking chain ridiculous ridiculous set list the most ridiculous set list i don't know how you could make that you'd have to stick in like fucking billy jean or purple rain mm. or happy birthday <laughs> Do you know, or the, you know, God save the queen. Like, I don't know how you make that more fucking, who could come along and go, I can, I, we, I can compete with that as a set list. It was, 
Ridic- it was completely ridiculous. It's almost, it felt quite unfair. And his bands, right, are so fucking tight. I mean, his bass player was like flea times a billion. But just didn't look like it. it was like the easiest thing in the world to him, like washing a fucking washing up a cup or something. You know, like the, the easy sort of standing there, his face just completely deadpan, looking around Hyde Park, looking around, just like all these and the fucking two singers that he had with him. Every I was like, this is like Simon Le Bon has got to go on after these two singers. <laughs> Bless Simon Le Bon, and I love him. And I talk about how good everything was in a minute. But Simon Le Bon's never really been a great singer. No. And then you've got two people next to him who are just like fucking Mariah Carey levels of like hitting every note on some of the most famous songs in history. I was like, poor Duran Duran, what have they done to themselves? What have they done to themselves? They've stitched themselves up good and proper here because you can't follow this. You cannot follow this. But they did. Uh, they did follow it. And it was, fun. It was again, one of, like, one of the most fun shows that I've ever been to. I got quite emotional at Pearl Jam. I was like, God, what a great band. And this is beautiful. I got quite emotional at Elton John. Mm. I was like, this is the man who wrote and is now singing Tiny Dancer in front of me. Your song, you know, Rocket Man, all this, like, really, just like, God, this is beautiful and perfect, poignant moments in popular culture history. I think I like Duran Duran more than I like any of those bands, but everything was just fun. And again, um, the set list was mad. Like, they opened with Wild Boys, which was fucking great. And they still, like, they, they, they do look old, Duran Duran. And they had quite cheesy sort of you know you can see guns and roses and all the sort of the stuff on the screens is you're a bit like well, this yeah. looks like doom from 1998 <laughs> or something lads do you know what i mean and so it's a bit like that but one of them had a pink suit on uh an electric the new guitarist i can't remember his name had a had a, had a pink suit on and then john taylor the bassist had a sort of an electric pink so one of the salmon pink and an electric pink suit on simon lebon was wearing a green jacket with a white t-shirt and with sort of aqua colored sparkly trousers and then nick rhodes on keyboards had a lime electric lime green a bit like that kind of high vis color like you've got behind you there mm. so much the kind of high vis color jacket and suit and they just looked like you're like well you nobody looks more like pop stars than you guys do you look every inch the decadent 80s pop stars wild boys to open invisible from the album all of you from the album that's good and then we get into it view to a kill that was one of the best things i was like fucking view to a kill. with all the like old roger moore <laughs> like bond stuff going on in the back you're like this is so fucking 80s union and the snake which i fucking love brought Noel rogers out Noel rogers not content <laughs> with playing Neither, every yeah. single song anyone had ever written that people knew before decides to come on and do notorious with duran duran as well he also did pressure off from the new album uh come undone from the 90s um which i do like the 90s duran duran period where they went a little bit more gritty but i have to say after that run of all these really sort of massive 80s pop songs it brought the mood down a little bit come undone i thought it was a great song but it brought the mood down a little bit and then they go in with hungry like a wolf and you're like there we are that's what i wanted friends of mine from the first album which i you know i didn't expect to hear but it was very very good ordinary world you know ordinary world's a, a lovely song and again it's a, it's a 90s one 
and I think it's probably worked better than Come Undone, but it did sort of bring it down a bit. Tonight United from the new album is not one of the best songs on the new album. I'm not sure where they did that. But then the end, I mean, this is fucking insane. Planet Earth, which I think was my favourite. I fucking love Planet Earth. I remember I was going to see Cold Chamber and they walked on to Planet Earth and I just thought, well, this is better than anything you're going to play. And it was yeah. as well. Hold Back the Rain, fucking amazing. The Reflex, they did their absurd cover of White Lines Don't Do It by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I don't know what they were thinking doing that, but I'm fucking delighted that they did because, I mean, that's on in the hat for Broken Records, that Duran Duran album where they cover Public Enemy and Bob Dylan. And like, I mean, they're mad. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, how much fucking cocaine have you had, lads? <laughs> Oh, all, all of it. You've had it all. Did the whole world's worth fine, but like, so they brought that back. Absolutely mental. But I kind of love them for it. Um, Girls on film with a little medley of "Acceptable in the Eighties" by Calvin Harris. Again, how can you not like that? And an, an encore of "Save a Prayer" and Rio. Oh, lovely. So you know, they they sounded really good. They sounded really tight. I thought Simon Le Bon sounded good as well. Simon Le Bon, I was sort of laughing at Simon Le Bon when the new album came out because I was like, he doesn't sound... Like, watch that BBC Two show they did to open, you know, to sort of uh, promote the new album. They did something where they were played live on BBC Radio Two. And I was like, man, Simon Le Bon sounds bad. He sounds really quite bad. So I sort of prepped myself for being like, oh, Simon Le Bon's going to sound bad. And he didn't actually. He sounded good. He actually sounded good. The whole band sounded good. It was it was wicked. I mean, I, I think it was one of the youngest people there as well, which was <laughs> nice. And um, yeah, would go again. Hopefully they tour next year. I mean, I imagine they will. I imagine they'll do a full tour. And if they do do a full tour, what I suggest to you, if you're one of our long-term listeners, and you're like, why are you talking about Duran Duran still, mate? Come on. I'm so, you talk about them even... Well, I've got a reason to talk about them this week, by the way. But don't go to download. Go to Duran Duran. Go and see Duran Duran on tour you'll have a much more fun time than going to watch Pantera in the rain. It's a fair point. Well made. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, I'm, I would say I'm 99% certain they are going to be touring soon. Cause they actually did a couple of warm up shows here in Leicester at the, uh, at the O2 Academy Leicester, which was a, a shock. They did. Um, not as eye watering as the price, obviously, but, um, yeah, I mean, surely pay it, pay whatever they ask mate. pay any amount of money. It's worth, you know, what? I wish me. I had, I really wish I had, but you know, <laughs> you live and learn. But yeah, I reckon they'll be touring next year. Oh, I'll, I'll go. I like a bit of Duran Duran. I'll have a good time. Have a little dance. Oh, you will, mate. You will. And they don't fuck around like this thing. They don't like they get the fucking mm. hits in. All the hits. That's what I like about going to see. I think it's what kind of what I like about going to see these pop bands is they just you know a bit like I would say with Rancid. Like you know, Rancid know where their bread is buttered. They're going to play out kind of walls. You can see Duran Duran. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll play the, we'll mm. play the hits. Pet Shop Boys, yeah, yeah, we'll play the hits. Elton John, yeah, yeah, we'll play the hits. We'll play all the songs, you know. Noel Rogers, not only will I play all my hits, I'll play everybody yeah. else's hits as well. <laughs> Fucking amazing. None of this like, f- fuck, none of this Trent Reznor nonsense. Although <laughs> to be fair, being as big a Nine Inch Nails fan as I am, don't really care what Nine Inch Nails play. But I can see why people would walk away from Nine Inch Nails being like, I didn't play closer. Wah. They do do, do that, that, but people are Fine. stupid. So, just like they more music, stupid, everyone. Just like more music. It's not hard, is it? Just like more music. Anyway, Duran Duran were amazing. A life's ambition complete. Thanks very much. Glad you could be part of it. Let's talk about a few things 
that are out this week before we go oh before i move on actually i just want to say a very big thank you to the people who um who did all the kind of press and stuff at uh the british summertime because it got me into three of those gigs and i asked for quite a lot i was pretty cheeky with what i asked for and they delivered all of it so you're lovely people thank you for being lovely people anyway black midi have got a new album out before we get into your picks, Sam, we should probably talk about this because there is a brand new Black Midi album and it's called Hellfire. It is the third studio album from the hot, hotly tipped. I mean, they're more than hotly tipped now, aren't they? They're more like critically mm. acclaimed stalwarts of the very cool new indie movement, whatever you can post-punk, post-rock, math-rock movement. Um, and it is a follow-up to last year's very, very good Cavalcade album. Uh, the last album featured a song which opened the record called john l and i remember thinking this is the fucking shit this song this is the best thing sounded like primus never really saw that coming from black midi having listened to um their first album which was called schlagenheim but i loved it and i was like i wouldn't mind them doing Mm. a bit more of that cheers lads because that's kind of what they've done essentially yeah. here, isn't it? They've sort of leaned in a bit more to that thing, plus some other things as well. They are getting a bit, I don't want to say wacky, because that will give people absolutely the wrong impression. Um, but it's certainly, they're an unusual, oddball kind of band at this point. And I'm very much here for it. Um, what's your relationship with black midi prior to listening to hellfire sam uh so my relationship with black midi um i was aware of them when schlagenheim came out i don't think i properly got around to it uh until uh i ended up reviewing cavalcade for uh stereo board the website i used to write for and so you know did my homework did my investigation of the previous stuff got into cavalcade since then i've been desperate to see them i was meant to go and see them at the mill in birmingham last year but unfortunately last minute couldn't make it and everything um after hearing this album i have to see them i absolutely have to go and see black midi um my relationship with them seems to grow (laughs) to be one of more and more utter affection and adoration by the day Mm, yeah i sort of liked schlagenheim i was like this is interesting glad Mm. they're getting a lot of nice things being said about them they seem to be crossing over you know getting that mercury music prize nomination was a bit of a shocker but you know good and i thought the album was fine i thought cavalcade was was good Mm. i really liked it when it was proper manic really liked those parts like i mentioned john l was a real standout to it this is for me definitely my favorite thing they've ever done oh hands down comfortably i was halfway through the first listen i was like this is the best thing they've put to record definitely i think this is fucking brilliant this record the title track is all like again les claypool-esque vocals Mm -hmm. and this dramatic thumping piano and orchestral thing it manages to sound lovely and elegant but also incredibly weird incredibly Mm. odd very odd indeed and you've got to love that you've got to love a band who are capable of doing both those things i think that is such a weird difficult thing to do and yet 
they smash it and it's not the only time that they smash it on this album it is just sort of a taster for what is about to come yeah i mean for me i think the first time i listened to it i mean first time i listened to it i was a bit taken aback i was like blimey they're really going in both feet into the weird side of themselves um but i think it sounds like you're turning up to some magical mystical like cocktail bar that's also a jazz club and a pussifer gig at the same time like there's a boxing ring in the middle and all the hell's breaking loose but people are having a really nice time with their negronis you've walked up to the door and this man just starts gibbering and rabbiting away at you and it's almost on the borderline of being like threatening but it's definitely in the uncomfortable setting and then you realize that's the doorman when he welcomes you in i feel like that's what Mm. this song is yeah, it, 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 there is so much shit going on. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> and, and like you, you mentioned a boxing ring. It, I mean, it goes into like a full boxing ring announcement on the next song. And mm. then you get this sort of 80s soft rock saxophone and then this drum and bass, bass freak out. This is a weird band. Yeah. This is a weird, weird band. And I think the thing is like, you know, Eat Many is like some sort of flamenco murder ballad. Welcome to Hell sounds like the Divine Comedy meets Fugazi if they were both hugely struggling with their mental health. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely love that song. It might be my favourite song on the record, particularly the last minute of that song. Mm, the fucking it's big so rock intense. out ending. Yeah. yeah, it's so great. It's really, really great. And then after it finishes, you get like, well, like a country ballad. You get like some sort of Johnny Cash country ballad. Which is not really what I was expecting at all. No, well, to come after that at any point. I think I think you're also underselling the weirdness of still the song that follows "Welcome to Hell" because it is that kind of country ballad, but then it's still got that big band sensibility that they were exploring on, especially things like Marlene Dietrich on the previous album. But it starts like it's a, a luau song. It sounds like you're on a sun-drenched mm. beach with Black Midi kind of apologising, saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was a bit weird earlier." Um, let's chill out, and then they just can't help themselves but go for this kind of weird avant-garde approach to just throwing everything at the wall and yet it all absolutely works together i think they are so adept at wrangling so many disparate styles um like they were on john l on the previous album which you know through primus swans king crimson daughters everything at the wall and yet was was the highlight of that album i think it's um unsurprising that uh marta salonyi i believe that's how you pronounce her name has produced this album she produced john l and that was the only part of the last record she was involved in i think it is interesting that they've clearly decided that that's the direction they're leaning into this time around and Mm -hmm. with her at the helm i mean not to dismiss the kind of talent of the band i think with her at the helm though they've absolutely nailed it they've nailed that kind of mad capri and i i i hate fun by you know by and large i don't like fun but this album is fun it is weird, and I just love being in its company all the way through. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, I think, again, you know, lunacy. The race is about to begin. Seven-something minutes long. Mm. Absolutely fucking mad song. Crazy riff. Loads of bombastic piano. That vocal tone that he has, that vocal delivery that goes on throughout this record, it's just, just completely unique to him, I think really good but it sort of also feels like two songs kind of stapled together because it reaches this crescendo about four minutes and 20 seconds into the song and then gets really really quiet like something like talk talk would do and they're really really great at both of those things and that's 
that's amazing. Like, you know, they are they are weird and they're unusual and they're unique and they're stylistically very, very difficult to pin down. But they're not one dimensional at all. No. No, 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 no. I don't think you could ever accuse Black Midi of being one dimensional. I mean, like, um I think the the latter half of the album, if I did have a criticism of the record, I think the latter half is slightly and ever so slightly less engaging than the first few tracks. I think um I think once the race is about to begin is finished, it starts to go into what in relative terms you could be you could call um Black Midi's Fair, which is that kind of big band. And particularly I think the real thing that it leans into with Geordie Group's vocals there, I think he's got two modes, particularly on this album, which is the kind of sneering nasal, like only really comparable to Les Claypool weirdo, like lurching around the mic and then you've got kind of latter day david bowie i'd say you know sort of post the next day but pre-black star that kind of dark jazz croon that he also brings in which i think was really prevalent on the previous album and definitely comes up here particularly on yeah the defense uh and 27 questions the uh penultimate and final track although 27 questions i think is an odd one because it it's the i think it's the time on the album where it does feel properly threatening there's this real sort of discordant conversation going on between the piano and everything else and it, it it's quite a weird note to end on and yet it just leaves you so captivated you immediately stick the album back on because it's like well what happened there i need to listen to that again because i'm not quite sure how they want me to feel at the end of this it's very intense that's mm. very intense it's interesting you pick the defense and compare it to bowie because for me that is maybe the only time on the record where it sounds like a sort of proper quote-unquote song with a normal-esque mm song structure it's quite a twee it's quite catchy i quite like yeah. it i mean it comes after dangerous liaisons which is like a waltz that becomes a big band thing and then he screams murder mm. <laughs> and it's all parping horns and shouting like benfolds five doing captain Beefheart or something Do you know it's mad yeah. yeah yeah and there's you know a lot of stuff that you would look at and you would go i mean this has absolutely zero commercial potential whatsoever you probably would have said that about primus back in the day mm. if we're going to go down that kind of primus comparative point whereas i think the defense i did look at it and go ah you actually you could write normal songs that people probably would get in you could have, if they'd have written 12 of them you'd be going this is a decent album and i think people will really like yeah, it people really whereas this it feels like something very odd and unusual and the fact that they're getting such you know great plaudits for for what they're doing i think is is really good there's a lot about satan and hell isn't mm. there oh there's a lot of mentions of satan a lot of mentions of hell which is you know very metal but this isn't a very metal no. album it's too heavy it's for that. an al nasrak no it's definitely no. not it's probably heavier than an al nasrak <laughs> Although I don't, know, uh, I don't know that it is, but you know, uh, well, there's no comparison to be honest. It's apples and oranges. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean the the hellfire kind of imagery and ideation. Um, reading through the press notes, Geordie Greep was saying a lot about. I think he wanted to call the first album Hellfire, and then he wanted to call the second album Hellfire, and it's like this has been at the back of his mind for this band for so long, and I feel like it's quite nice that this is the album that ended up getting that name because it feels like the absolute apex of where they are so far. I'd be interested to see what happens next because, I mean, despite the fact I think that the first half is acutely stronger, I think this is a pretty bloody flawless album. I absolutely love this. 
Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest. I hadn't noticed a stronger half. No. I, I, I actually thought this was pretty consistent all the way through. I would say, of its kind, this is probably one of my favourite albums of the year. Of its kind. Um, and probably one of my favourite albums of the year, broadly speaking. This will be in the conversation come the end of the year for a top 20. I think this will absolutely be in the conversation. I think this is fucking great, this record. Fucking great so um anything else to add to that sam uh i i would go even stronger i think uh for me this is gonna be in my end of year list uh not that anyone's gonna know what it is because i don't know where it'll go but um i think of the albums that we have covered while i've been filling in for renfrew on the podcast i think this is my favorite thing we have covered so far yeah probably mine as well just very briefly thinking about what we've done there i can't think of anything that jumps out at me as much i think the only one that would jump out for you would be more mother and i think more mother is amazing don't get me wrong but i i think i personally just at the moment if i if i had to choose between the two of them right now i have enjoyed this more i think there's more to look into with more mother but i think right now this is my favorite thing i have covered on right act i i think they're very very closely comparable records these two in terms of in terms of how much i like Mm. them uh and both of them have grown on me significantly since the first time i heard them so yeah i think actually that's uh that is a pretty good comparison the more you know the more mother album that we were talking about last week like they're definitely not the same at all but as in terms of the way that it has made me feel about those records and how i went from first time hearing it being like oh i'm not really sure what is this what is it to being just like fuck this is brilliant and there's so much shit going on yeah um pretty apt comparison hellfire by black midi is out right now let's talk about interpol excuse me the other side of make-believe the seventh studio album from interpol the new york post-punk revivalist this is the follow-up to 2018's marauder record which we actually reviewed on a very very early show back when we started this podcast in 2018. And Renfrew and I, uh, we were fairly ho-hum about Marauder. But, you know, we both quite like Interpol. Uh, Sam, Interpol as a band, are you a fan? Do you have any kind of pre-existing relationship with them as a band? I don't really have a relationship as such with them. I listened to Marauder off the back of you, uh, your review uh, on the show obviously knowing full well that you weren't blown away by it and i did check out um their first two records as well um my relationship with interpol i think is that i'm glad they are there for people who like them but i'm not one of them don't dislike them but they don't do a lot for me Mm. i think the thing that we said on the last record was you know they kind of had a bit of a hiatus and then they came back with an album and then that was a sort of second comeback album, Marauder. And sometimes when you split up and you kind of come back, especially if the hiatus hasn't been very long, you sort of start to run out of ideas a little bit. And I would say you're not going to get too much that is going to surprise you or probably change your mind about Interpol this deep into their career when they have mostly been making albums fairly consistently with the exception of that brief hiatus that they had around sort of 2010 to 2014 whatever it was but and this does sound i mean you know this record sounds like interpol if you put it on and you said to me who is this band i would probably say interpol or, or maybe editors 
but i would probably be aware of who it is because you know they're gonna sound like they sound that's absolutely Mm. fine this deep into their career saying that for my money this album is certainly better than marauder i think personally and there's a couple of reasons for that but as a statement would you agree with that from your kind of i mean asking you to remember an album that you listened to and then paid very little attention to four (laughs) years ago it's probably a bit silly on my part but if you have an opinion with that then feel free to share yeah i don't know that i remember marauder well enough to actually go on record as saying this is better or worse um if this is better i'm not going to be going back to marauder fair enough (laughs) fair enough i mean i think the slightly slower stuff and slighter stuff on here actually works quite well and the first three songs on the record gave me a bit of a sort of disintegration era cure feel to it It tracks like into the night um, which I think is really good. And I think the vocals are really interestingly pitched on that song as well. They seem to be sort of deliberately one step behind the music. I think that's actually quite mm. cool. Um, I do quite like the fact that, you know, on the opening to the album, they don't slam into a sort of typical, I say typical, like they, you know, they're not a one, they're not a particularly one dimensional band really, Interpol, but they're known mostly. Like when I think of Interpol, the thing that I think of in my head is that, sort of post-punky driving you know talking heads meets joy division these sort of thing that they were doing in the early part of their career and tony fables and into the night don't really do that it is a much sort of quieter and slighter and a bit more kind of atmospheric start to the record you get to a song like mr credit which feels much more like standard classic interpol and it's not a bad song but i think it made me go, yeah, you know, I thought the first three songs had found quite a different groove mm. for them and it made me be slightly more interested in the record and I thought that was good. And then that sort of dipped into quite a typical sound in Interpol, which I'm not really having a go at them for. I just thought that, like, that was where it started to become slightly less interesting for me personally. Uh, I I would agree uh, to an extent. Um, I like, yeah, I liked Mr. Credit, but I don't think I quite enjoyed the preceding three tracks enough to actually think that there's been, uh, not, not necessarily even a dip in quality, but that there's, I don't think there'd even really been that much of a change. I think the only thing across this album that really differentiated the tracks for me was the percussion. Um, I think the drumming on this album is fantastic. I think it's really good and sp- beautifully produced as well it's a really nice dry sounding drum kit it feels good sounds good it's right for the band it's flood and alan Mulder, by the way who are obviously a very adept production pair oh yeah i mean i can't fault the production of this album at all but i did find that um i mean maybe it's my kind of lack of a relationship or knowledge of interpol before this review but i found it to be very very one paced and to be honest at some points quite dreary um i was looking at other reviews you know um just to sort of see if i was in the right ballpark or if i totally missed the mark with it and i saw you know a lot of the reviews across their career have been comparisons to joy division and television and uh you know that that kind of ilk of post-punk and and uh well in television's case new york bands as well um I can see the through line. For me, I think the biggest problem I've got with this album is that it feels very kind of resigned and melancholy, but it doesn't really seem to have 
<laughs> much to actually say. Feels like the uh, whoop, shit. The uh, <laughs> my chair Sam just sunk just, underneath me. Chair just went down. It's like Interpol, like willing you to fail at <laughs> the this. Poltergeist review. of fucking Interpol. Paul Banks is after me. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. It, it feels like it doesn't really have that much to say. I mean, it's it feels like he's saying something, but when you actually read the lyrics, it's all just a bit kind of meaningless platitudes just thrown all over the place, really. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, to be, they've never really struck me much as a particularly lyrical band. Like, it, there, there's some bands that you I really pay attention to the lyrics to, and there's some bands that I don't. And for me, I think what you said about the drumming, and I think they've always had, and you need to have a good rhythm section mm. if you're going to be one of these bands. And I think, you know, for me, when they get it right, like I've always liked their kind of piano ballady stuff. So there's a song that's called Something Changed, which is a bit more of a sort of jazz bass. And the, I think the drums on that might be really good. I think that might be one of my favourite songs. And there's a song called Greenwich, which I think actually that is my favourite song, which I think is really exceptional. And it's got a kind of looping guitar and a bit of a kind of melting, warping rhythm section. And that sounds as good as pretty much anything that Interpol have done, I think. And I didn't think there was anything on the last one that made me go, hmm. So, you know, I do think that it runs out of steam a little bit. I think, you know, the last sort of three songs, I was like, yeah. okay, you've kind of peaked. And there's a few songs post sort of something. Change. So Renegade Hearts and Passenger in the middle of Something Change in Greenwich and then ended with Grand Hotel, Big Shot City and Go Easy. Like none of that is like mind-blowingly brilliant i don't think but i would say there's there's like of the 11 tracks here there's five that i really like tony fables into the night something changed greenwich i all think are really really good everything else i think is kind of all right mm. um and i think for a band who are sort of seven albums in and i guess 20 years into their career that's not terrible do you know what i mean it's not an absolutely a appalling thing to happen to be like oh your new album's decent enough and there's a few tracks from it that if i were to go and see you live obviously hoping for most stuff from turn on the bright lights and antics mm. if you chucked a couple of these in great i mean even like to go sorry to bring up duran duran again but even duran duran you know played three songs off their last album future past is not a great duran duran album but it's got a couple of good songs on it they didn't play Anniversary, which I think is probably the best song on the record. But, you know, when they did play those new songs, I was like, oh, these these are all right. And I think if, if you go to see Interpol and they play a couple of the songs off this and it is any of those that I've just mentioned, I do actually think it would keep the set ticking along quite nicely. And on Marauder, I did find myself going, oh, there's really nothing here at all mm. that I'm getting particularly excited about. And whilst I would say, you know, particularly on the back of the Black Midi album, saying am i excited about this maybe not excited but certainly you know I, I think it does that thing that mid you know bands with 20 year long careers in the sort of if the mid latter part of their career i think the album does that thing i think it does it well enough to sort of justify its existence that's what i think sure i mean yeah i'd struggle to argue with that i think you know for me my big problem is that coming into this album i think this is what people who've never listened to The National think The National would sound like. And that was a big stumbling block for me with a band like that. And then when I hear this, it's like, yeah, this is all the stuff I just don't really gravitate towards. And I don't hate this album at all. I just find it all washes over me a little bit. And I think it is 
remarkably one-paced throughout. I think there are very, very subtle differences between the songs that differentiate them, but if I had this as one big file and I just skipped through to random points, I, I don't think I could pick out that I was listening to a different song each time with maybe a couple of exceptions. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no kind of fast paced. There's nothing from, you know, like when I think of some again, some of the early stuff. There, there was a few where you'd be like, well, this is, you know, a bit more obviously punk influenced, and there's not really anything like that no. on this record at all. So yeah, I guess it does sort of sit. It, it goes from sort of slow to quite slow, yeah, a bit slower. <laughs> yeah uh i don't mind it i mean i certainly think prefer it to marauder mm. i certainly prefer it to marauder i think it's okay i think it's okay i think it's pretty you know it's proper like six out of ten um record and i think at this point in their career you know that's that's okay anyway interpol the other side of make-believe i still think okay. like, I, I actually like interpol i was actually <laughs> saying that alan partridge then. can i shock you <laughs> i like interpol i do i do like him though i just um yeah i think uh they I, I I guess it's you know the because the last few have felt not that great to me it feels like it's at least it, it feels like that tanker is turning around okay. it's at least something to aim towards it getting better mm. than they were anyway there you go the other side of make believe by Interpol is out now right Sam here's your picks Wee. you pick four albums that we haven't covered here on the podcast thus far we're going to talk about them right now and then we're going to go you'll be able to go as well you listening let's start with this one capri songs by fka twigs this is the debut mixtape from the united kingdom's alt pop icon i'm still not sure what the difference between a mixtape and an album is but then i am quite old so um i guess you know this does give you a fair few clues because something of a mixed bag for me um but sam before i get into what i think fk twigs uh why'd you why'd you pick this one um so i mean so broadly for the four picks i've chosen i wanted to bring in stuff that basically i think your listeners will really like that you haven't covered i think with fk twigs in particular um so i don't know how much you are aware of her work but her 2019 album magdalene magdalena not quite sure how to pronounce it uh massively critically acclaimed uh, acclaimed across the board you know she's doing incredibly yeah, well in critic circles and garring an absolutely gargantuan fan base as well you know she is going to be a massive massive pop star um <laughs> if you wouldn't already consider her one already uh i mean looking at some of the uh guest appearances on this mixtape you know i think she's already she's got the ear of some massive people already um yeah i brought this in because you guys have been delving more into what you could broadly call mainstream pop. And, you know, I don't think you've been doing properly mainstream. I know you um, you had a few people complaining about you covering The weekend, saying, oh, it's not very alternative, mm-hmm. is it? It's like, yeah, but it is. And I think FK Twigs fits into that mould uh, for the most part. So I think her, her LPs have been very ca- kind of avant-garde, hyper-pop sensibility. I think this is an interesting one because it definitely shows that she is willing and able, more importantly, to go for a much more mainstream, kind of commercially viable sound, should she should she want to. Yeah, I think you're probably right to say that, actually. I mean, you know, I have really grown to accept, and also in some cases actually embrace, some of the styles of hyper-pop and alternative pop that kind of bug me or that I really didn't 
get or it kind of grated on me for a while this mixtape there are bits particularly the kind of spoken word combo parts that i just don't think you need at all to yeah. be perfectly honest and you know i would rather alternative pop gave me some pop you know like when i listen to charlie xcx and i go back and people go oh you know the new one's not as good go back to the old stuff and i go back to the old stuff and i'm like these songs don't grab me in the same way as the the new stuff does because pop music by its very nature i think needs to be accessible doesn't mean it needs to be Mm. sort of obvious or dumb or all those things but i think it needs to be accessible it needs to be catchy and and I, i think that is really really important and that to me is harder to do than it is to make a load of kind of weird blippy bloppy noises and just go oh it's hyper pop you don't understand it 100 gex is a really good example you know that kind of i've gone on about a bunch of times but that 100 gex song that they released a couple of months ago is the best thing they've ever done because it's a fucking banging song and i don't think they were really that interested or tried or wanted to or were capable of making a fucking banging song until that came along there's some gripes that i have had that and already but and a few others coming but there is good things about this plenty of good things about this i think there's some really wicked stuff on it i think the opening song ride the dragon has got all these really dreamy loops and has a very urgent hook to it i think that's a really cool juxtaposition of styles to have such a kind of squishy marshmallowy pop sound but then also have this very very urgent vocal delivery as well i thought that was wicked this kind of modern mm. soul pop thing really grabbed me amazingly again same for metal meta angel really relaxing and the production and the bass is like kind of really sort of liquidy and squishy i thought that was great you mentioned the weekend the weekend's on this record and tears in the club yep. is brilliant with him as you might imagine sexy slinky banger of the highest order but i do find myself gravitating more to the more ballady stuff on this record i actually think i like that more than i like the more blatantly pop bits on it like i really like light beamers um which almost reminds me of that mm. we did the john z from Sega ross album and he did a kind of electro pop sort of ambient record and it was really good and it reminded me of something off of that and he, there's a song on it called darjeeling which is georgia smith on it as well and um I really like that. It's also Nick's a line from You're Not Alone by Olive from 1996. I know you're playing to a young person's crowd, but you can't get that Olive, We're Not Alone sample past me, FKA Twigs. I know where it comes from. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I really like that. But then there's some stuff on it that I'm not that keen on. Pappy Bones, don't like that carnival pop thing. Um, Jealousy, not really keen on that. Track Girl. Uh, was a bit like that Ollie Sykes bit on that weird Bring Me The Horizon album, except it's only a few minutes long rather than like 28 minutes long. Mm. Um, but yeah, the ballady stuff, like Thank You, which ends is like a real big end credit of a movie rom-com-y song. Really nice. Really, really nice. And I think that's the stuff personally that I prefer from this record. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it is strange just how much we completely agree on basically every point you've just raised there. I think... Um, yeah, that. So I think it's by virtue of being a mixtape, and I I still don't really understand what the distinction between a mixtape and an LP is. Because to be fair, I think even though there are peaks and troughs on this album, I think it's re- remarkably coherent and cohesive all the way through. And I think 
when I hear mixtape, I'm assuming it's just going to be a collection of songs that don't really have much to do with each other. But I think this album flows really well. I think it is too long. By the end of it, I am starting to... My patience is wearing a bit thin because it's all kind of in a similar register of that. Yeah, it's lovely, kind of dreamy, liquidy... I don't know, kind of... It's got that noughties R&B with a 2020 sensibility and production and stuff like that. Um, I mean, to be honest, all of my highlights are exactly the same as, as the ones you pointed out. Ride the Dragon's amazing. Meta, Meta Angel. I think it's a gorgeous song. And yeah, I think Tears in the Club is my favourite. It's suave. It's stylish. It's also quite vulnerable as well. I think there's a lot of vulnerability on this album that Twigs is exploring that I think is really interesting. And it's it's a perspective I haven't really explored in my musical listening career so yeah I, I as i say i thought this would be one that a lot of your listeners would gravitate towards i thought you would like it more than you do i you know i don't mind it i think this is okay i prefer there's a lot of the other things that we've covered in this mold that we've done over this over the last sort of year or so that i think i probably would prefer this to i actually would you know like i was sort of up and down about the charlie xcax album I think I actually prefer the Charlie XCX album to this, personally. Again, um, there's something about pop music when it doesn't, when it's obviously pop music, but it doesn't, it seems to be, uh, th- this is not ashamed of being pop. I don't no, think. definitely not. I don't think this is ashamed of being pop, but I think that in its quest to be sort of taken seriously as an artist, you lose a bit of something unless you're really, really amazing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, she's not a good artist or anything like, do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that she, she won't be able to do both or she can't do both. Cause I think like you say, there's some interesting themes explored here. There's some great production qualities. There's some great performances and some great guests coming on and she sounds good mm. the whole way through. There's a few things that I've sort of picked out that I'm not that keen on purely because it's not necessarily to my taste. But I do think so many times throughout the album, I was like, give give people, give people the hook, give people the pop sensibility that they need if you're going to be a pop star. Again, that, but that's my opinion. Do you know what I mean? I don't sound like fucking Pete Waterman or something. But like, I really think that pop music, no matter how intelligent or no matter how forward thinking or no matter how creatively vast you make it, you have to fucking deliver on those essential parts of pop music, which is that song has to be good. And sometimes it has to, it has to really grab you. And, and not everything on this album did. Like I said, it's quite long. Mm. But then the weekend album is long. I mean, I, you know, when I compared, like, th- this came out around the same time as a weekend did, album, yes. right at the start of the year. To me, the, the every single song on that, he, he never forgets that. Like, the weekend never forgets. I've got to have a hook. i got to have a massive hook. I've got to fucking start with that, that Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Madonna pop hook. It has to be there in this song. You can surround it with all the other things, you know, the Jim Carrey spoken word passages the the conceptual ideology of the album and you can make it dark and you can kind of lyrically have this through line and theme that follows it but if you don't have those hooks it all kind of starts falling down and i think she's got i reckon maybe 60 percent of this mixtape has significant enough hooks for it to really work for me that's basically what i think i think that's a very fair point and actually i think everything you're saying makes me consider 
that um, I think where where Twigs has come from on previous releases has been more avant-garde and maybe not so bothered about letting the audience in, kind of being willing to challenge them in a pop sense. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe the reason this is billed as a mixtape, because she does have her third LP, I believe is due for release at the end of the year. Maybe this is meant to be a kind of transitional conceptual piece where she's sort of introducing her her audience the idea that things are going to get a bit more mainstream and maybe she's trying not to leave behind that kind of avant sensibility too quickly but uh but i don't know i think i think you're absolutely right i think yeah it does at times forget to be pop yeah i think you know that that is just something that i personally have a bit of a problem with i know maybe i don't know call me fucking old hat or whatever but that's just how i feel about this type of music it just doesn't work for me if i don't get it really but anyway i think this is like this is this is pretty good i mean you know the reviews of it they say it's 48 minutes feels like quite long for 48 minutes but you know it's got mm. a kind of metacritic re rating of 80 out of 100 i mean you look at some of the reviews line of best fit clash 7 out of 10 uh, 7.8 in Pitchfork. I feel fucking hell for Pitchfork. I feel quite high. <laughs> you know, 3 out of 5 in The Guardian. That feels about right to me. Do you know what I mean? That feels about right, that kind of 7 out of 10 mm. thing. I think that's that that sort of feels spot on, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's a very fair score, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, anyway. So you go, Capri Songs by FK Twigs. That is Sam's first pick. That came out in fucking January. So, you know, if you've <laughs> not heard it, then, you know, don't worry. I, I hadn't either, to be honest. Uh, let's move on. And the next pick you have picked is Final Light by Final Light. Now, this is a collaboration between Cult of Luna and James Kent, a.k.a. Perturbator, something that we actually were definitely planning to do to, to cover back in the day. Back in the day, it's only been out a few weeks. Um, but yeah, back in the day. But we never actually got round to it because obviously we cover Cult of Luna quite a lot. And we cover Perturbator whenever we can as well. Um, Sam, why did you bring this one in, please? Um, I thought it was really interesting. There were, there were a couple bubbling under, and I think at the end, if you don't mind, I'll give a little shout out to the things that were in my long list that uh, I was going to bring in. Um, I think it was interesting to look at one of the commissioned sets from Roadburn that has actually been released in the end. And of course, as you say, I know you guys cover Cult of Luna a lot, you cover Perturbator quite a lot, but I know that your listeners, you know, I say I know, I assume the majority of your listeners enjoy that stuff. And I think Final Light, it may not be the most successful collaboration that I have heard come out of Roadburn this year, but I think it is one that's probably the most worth discussing. I think it's higher, a higher profile one as well. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, one of the ones I was going to shout out later is Ms. Moore and Thou. You know, I mean, that's not, you know, that's going to stay underground. It's great, but that's not going to do <laughs> great for anyone involved, is it? Well, I mean, you know, I haven't actually heard it, so I have no idea. But I mean, you know, if they decide to make a boy band collaboration, who knows? They could do. Oh, That'll, I should have brought they it do in. What they want, don't they? Yeah. yeah, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, is it a load of yeah. five covers, <laughs> a load of NSYNC covers. <laughs> um, okay, right. So, final light. Um, this is way more Cult of Luna than Perturbator, isn't it? In the main, I would say. I mean, the last album that James Kent did was a bit more ambient, a bit more post-punk and slightly more gothic. Yeah. Didn't quite have that mad, booming 80s party synth thing going on. And I think this travels even further down that road. And the thing that comes at the end of that particular road is probably Cult of Luna. Yeah, yeah. I think mm. um, 
I think there are there are still moments that are most definitely perturbated throughout it. You know, there are a lot of stabbing, you know, huge kind of towering synths that come through, uh, particularly on a song like well, on the title track in in particular. I think um, I think the title track in particular is probably the most interesting and most successful this gets because it goes from those kind of massive synth hits. You then got a kind of noisy break. You've still got that sludge that comes through and everything. Um, I think that's when it's it feels it's most cataclysmic, like Perturbator feels unhinged, and then you've got Johannes absolutely belting out that kind of signature roar over the top. It's funny you say the title track because when I was listening to it, that was the first time on the record where I really felt like it was something that James Kent was fully involved in. Mm. I think he does a lot of coloration on this record. Yes, yes. I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, I would say... So yeah, the first the first song, Nothing Will Bear Your Name, I think, you know, it's this real kind of long extended pulsing intro and you are waiting for it to really explode into the collaboration side. But then I think it does ultimately feel like a Cult of Luna song that just happens to be played, not necessarily wholly on guitars and bass and drums. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. Into the Void, I think, again, you've got that Blade Runner thing that James does. But again, if you'd have said to me, this is a Cult of Luna song on its own, I think I'd have believed you. I think mm. I'd have been like, oh, right, okay. But if you just said to me, this is a Perturbator song, I probably would have gone, is it really? Wow, okay. Mm. And I think that says quite a lot about the um, the divvying up of what's going on in this particular collaboration. Do you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. this, is, this to me feels much more like, oh, it's Cult of Luna and Perturbator has some stuff in it. And I quite like this record. Like, don't get me wrong, I like it. And it's nice to hear perturbator and cult of luna together it's interesting to hear them together and it's an interesting collaboration on paper mm. but this is i mean talk about interpol being one paste yeah so i was gonna say during Fucking the hell. during the interpol review i was gonna say it's not the most one paste album we'd cover this week because i really like this but my god it is it is literally the same tempo all the way through the 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 feel and the speed and the pace of it never ever change. I think the there are such subtle differences between the songs, and I, I like this album for the most part. I think it would have been better served as an EP, um, maybe a three track EP rather than the full six tracks that we've got here. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting experiment. I don't think it's fully paid off. I'd be interested to see if they carried it on and if maybe Perturbator would have more of a, a starring role in it. I think they've missed the trick massively here. Mm. I think you could literally click randomly. If you had the whole sound file of the entire album in front of you and you randomly clicked on any part of it, at any point, you would either get... From James Kent, you'd get... From Cult of Luna, or you'd get... From Johannes Pearson. Mm. And that is all you will ever get. And I think, like, when... People in our scene jack each other off about how forward-thinking and how brilliant Cult of Luna are and blah, 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 blah. You, they've been given the opportunity here to work with someone who is completely outside of their wheelhouse. And they've done it before. You know, Cult of Luna and Julie Christmas. Mm, yeah, Mariner. Like, let's yeah. not forget, that's that's eight years ago now. That's a lot. That's basically quite a long time ago now. And I thought there were moments on uh, A Dawn to Fear which brought in slightly more indie stuff. And I thought, well, good for them. And they are a fucking forward-thinking band. They're a great band. 
I still, you know, people have been saying how the the latest Cult of Luna album is the best thing they've ever done and blah, 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 blah. I don't really hear anything new at all on the new Cult of Luna album, to be perfectly honest. And months down the line, having gone back to it a couple of times, I literally am just like, this just sounds like every Cult of Luna album to me. And what we've got here, again, is, oh, you've, you've run out of ideas. Even with somebody with you who is completely different to what you do as, as an artist. I mean, has James Kent taken a slight backseat here and gone, oh, I'm just happy to be working with a band as legendary as Cult of Luna? I'd like him to have turned around and gone, lads, we're going to do a fucking, we're going to do a banger. We're going to do an mm. 80s pop banger with you. Like, why are they not doing that? Why is this a dreary, fuck? like, look, I say a dreary, fuck, like, from, from what it is, it's dreary and one-dimensional and boring as compared to what I thought it might be in my head. Yeah, which I think is totally fair. And, uh, you know, you're saying, why didn't they write a banger? And it's like, yeah. Um, so I think the the interesting crux of this album is that it is a synthwave artist collaborating with someone from a more extreme realm. But then it's like, the more I thought about it, well, you know, Ghost was doing that on his album Possessor. I mean, he wasn't collaborating with someone, but he was bringing synthwave and extreme metal together. So it's not necessarily that new. And then in terms of a banger and a collaborative one, we have just had Carpenter Brute collaborate with Greg Pucciato on a song earlier this year, which was absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I, well, there was a whole bunch of fucking people. Oh, yeah, there were Carpenter loads. Brute I mean, album. Greg's just the one that immediately jumps to mind because I bloody yeah. love that man. So Love him, don't oh, you? Absolutely God. love him. Like, there's a whole bunch of people from the metal scene that have worked with Carpenter Brute before. And, you know, that... I, yeah, I mean, look, I don't think this is, ba- I don't think this is bad. Again, like the last Cult of Luna album. I listened to it now and I'm like, this isn't bad. Mm. But don't tell me that this is like forward thinking or, oh my God, aren't they unique and are there, you know, no one else is doing this. Just sounds like Cult of Luna. Mm. Like, I mean, you could go, aren't you being a bit harsh? Because you normally say like, oh, well, you can't keep reinventing yourself over and over and over again. So aren't you being a bit harsh here? And it's like, well, I wouldn't say that particularly about their new album. I would go, yeah, they've made another Cult of Lunar album. Great, it's a, it's a decent version of the thing that they do. Yeah, they have evolved quite a lot. And yeah, fair, you know, it's a it's a good Cult of Lunar album. And now they just sound like Cult of Lunar. That's fine. A bit like Lamb of God, just sound like Lamb of God now. But if you're working with somebody who is completely from outside of your realm and you just go, we'll just do the same thing as we always do. And if you don't mind putting a bit of like, bow, over the top of it, I can't help feeling, and I don't know, but I can't help feeling that this is Cult of Luna's fault, that this is quite a, quite a disappointing EP. And when I say disappointing, again, I don't mean bad, I mean disappointing. Because in my head, what it could have been is not what it is. When you listen to Blood Moon, mm. that is what I thought, that almost does more than my head thought it could do. Right. Think of how great and weird sounding and how unlike Converge, but also unlike Chelsea Wolf, but also unlike Stephen Brodsky, but how much it also does sound like all of those things together at once. Think of that and then listen mm. to this and go, oh, it's Cult of Luna with a bit of synth behind it. I can't help feeling that this is Cult of Luna's fault. Are Cult of Luna stuck in their ways and unable to accept James Kent going, I've written a massive John Carpenter throbbing synth part, do a thrash metal riff behind it. And they've gone, no, we're not doing mm. that. I don't know. You know, I, I have absolutely no idea. Maybe it got put together at the last minute and Cobble and were like, look, we got this stuff. Can you just color it in for us? And in that respect, this is decent. But in terms of it being like, oh, aren't these two forward thinking, blah, blah, blah. No, they're not. Sorry. 
this feels like proof to me that you know the creative well is somewhat running dry i think matt mills isn't going to be very happy with you is he well matt mills <laughs> can fucking <laughs> go on right to his local m right to his local mp <laughs> and and have a go at me about it but you know i i just i i can't sort of sit here and go oh great yeah this is exactly what i imagined it would be because it's it's if you just said to me what is the one thing you don't want this to be i would have gone cult of luna with a little bit of synth going over the top of it and that is exactly what we've got really really one and 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 also like proper (laughs) i might get as far as to say throw away cult of luna songs but none of them are really like the best cult of luna song do you know what i mean like none of it's going to be like this is cult of luna at their absolute best uh i don't think any of these songs would get on a dawn to fear no no do you know what all my notes i was perfectly sort of all right about it i was like oh i'm gonna be you know i'm not that i'm not like completely blown away by this but i think it's decent enough and then i've just fucking given it a bit of a kick in really i don't mean to give it a kick in because I don't think it's actually like rubbish. I just think we should, it's, it's surely impossible not to be disappointed in it sounding so stock in Lars Ulrich's Wasted potential. Uh, words. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I suddenly feel really bad. I did not bring this in with, on the proviso of both giving it a kicking. Because actually, yeah, I, I enjoy this album, but the more you kind of argue your point, I do think, oh yeah, Actually, yeah, they could have done so much more with it. And actually, yeah, mm-hmm. it is quite conservative. Uh, I mean, I already knew it was one pace, but yeah, it's really an adventurous for two artists who generally, you know, have proven themselves to be exactly that in the past. Well, you know, you get told about, I mean, well, I've been one of the people who's going, oh, isn't Synthwave brilliant? It's so mm. forward thinking and stuff. And like, you know, it, it, it was it was very, very exciting when it, when it happened. And I can understand Perturbator, I can understand James wanting to get away from, you know, a lot of the tropes of that at this point, and maybe you know, the longevity of that style hasn't really lasted in the way that maybe we thought it was. It hasn't really kind of captured people in the way that we thought it might have done. I do think Cult of Luna, as a band who are talked up as this kind of forward-thinking, oh, nothing else is like them, and they're so unique, and blah 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 blah. They shouldn't be just going. Here's a few cult of luna songs but we've let this guy put some synth over top of it like it's not good enough for me that is not good enough like yeah oh fuck it no it's not it's not good enough i'm sorry for making you listen to it <laughs> mate i've listened to it already. Oh, i'd oh, already okay. listened to it like don't worry about it i had already listened to it and i already thought that and you know i was a bit like i'm not really i don't like to be perfectly honest after listening to it i was like i don't really want to cover this because i think it's a I think it, yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed by it, and I didn't want to sort of, you know, slag it off too much. And I didn't think I was going to slag it off too much because when I listen to it, I am like, oh, it's good, but it's just the context surrounding it fucks me off. So you know, let's yes. move on. Let's, let's just move let's. on. Saying that though, right, the last track is amazing, and it really does set feel like you get more and more and more intensity mm-hmm. as it goes on. I think the last track uh, is really last good. track's, last track's really good, and you really, yeah, and you really hear the kind of the throb and the the threat of James Kent in uh, and Perturbator's work in, in that. And I, and I think that's really good, but broadly speaking, I'm not totally sold on this to be perfectly honest. Uh, but anyway, final light by final light 
is out now. You've probably heard it. You probably really like it, and you're probably going to tweet me about the. But then again, you. <laughs> I know what you like. I know what you like. If you're going to tweet me about it, I know what you like, and it, it just okay, fine. Uh, totally Unicorn, High Spirits, Low Life. This is the third studio album, I believe, from the Australian metallic punk band, I want to call them. The follow-up to their 2019 album, Sorry. I had actually never heard of this band before. I did have a little look at them, not going to lie. I thought they looked kind mm. of wacky. I thought, what are you doing, Sam? Are you bringing some fucking Elstorm band in for me to chat about? They look like they're going to be wacky Ooh. guys. But, um, they do look wacky, don't they? No. But they're not, really. They do look, yeah. they do look wacky, but they're not that wacky, really, are they? No, not at all. The reason I brought this in is uh, because a uh, friend of the show, maybe a strong term, but someone you know, Adam Vallely, told me about this band. Uh, he... Never, not my friend. Oh, Absolutely right, not my friend. I categorically deny that he's my friend. Okay, well, I like you, Adam, so that's fine. Uh, he sold this to me. Oh, as... I like him, oh. but he's not my friend. Put it that way. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. You are Adam. I'm joking, Adam. You are. To Sorry, me, they're not continue. mutually exclusive. Um, yeah, he sold this to me as the Australian St. Pierre's Snake Invasion, which I thought, oh, okay, I'll definitely go and listen to that. I don't think he's a million miles off the mark there. I think that's quite a, quite a simplification. But I think there are definitely moments on this that I think take from the same sort of a book of inspiration as a lot of the Bristol scene at the moment. I think this is basically a kind of like every time I die raised on McCluskey really really fucking angry like vocals sound at points like Joe Talbot from Idols Front in a hardcore band kind of goodness all the way through yeah yeah that is a fucking great shout I mean funnily enough you have put down a couple of the bands that I mentioned I've sort of gone four fans of the Bronx St. Pierre Snake Invasion Cancer Bats all that type of stuff Mm. But then I put, but equally, they aren't a million miles away from idols at their most aggressive. Uh, This is very, very good. You know, it's pretty feckin' heavy. Mm. It's got some kind of oddball, mathy, hardcore stuff going on to it. Uh, The weird sliding riff at the start of Tip Your Tinfoil Hat, I think, is amazing. Yeah. Tom Morello-esque. Yeah, the whammy pedal stuff. Yeah, it's really quite disorientating and I think think it works well with the context of the song because it is that kind of quite sharp, loutish, very aggressive kind of (laughs) sitting with your family at Christmas dinner listening to your uncle talk about conspiracy theories and you've just had enough. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really good. There's like bit of post-punk bass and western twang on old mate Mm. there's some weird ambient stuff on the title track as well but really when they're riffing and going into that sort of alty hardcore stuff they're very good but i have to say for me the star of the show here i'm afraid i don't actually know his name but the singer what is the singer's name drew gardner drew gardner drew gardner is fucking wicked his lyrics are wicked and funny his voice is not so screamy that he's indistinguishable but he's slurring and bawling in a very angry way and it sounds Mm. great i mean he i think his, his that sarcastic lyrics about the frustrations of the modern world are wicked and you can hear his accent you know i listened to them and i was like they are they must be australian and they are and you don't get mm. that when you listen to well uh, lots of bands from this kind of music you normally just assume oh they must be american 
and you could hear his Australian accent and I thought that was really really cool yeah I agree I'm a sucker for a kind of quote unquote regional accent being used you know candidly in music and I think it works so well here because as I say there's kind of there's almost this dichotomy between the delivery and the lyrics you know it is loutish it feels like if you just listen to the album purely on a sonic basis it sounds like you're at a venue and someone is deliberately trying to knock your pint out of your hand but then when you listen to what he's saying it's like well he's trying to knock your pint out of your hand so he can give you something a little bit more nourishing and refreshing and look out for you for the gig and actually maybe talk to you about some wider ideas about what's going on yeah yeah it's fucking it, it's uh it's really good he is a bit of a star i think of this record yeah like i i think musically they're really cool and they they remind me of not they seem to sort of toe a line and this might be something that makes you pull a funny face but they do toe a line between that kind of saint pierre snake invasion um mccluskey sort of hardcore with a bit of idols and also something like stray from the path because what those bands Mm. don't have that i think this does have is really really propulsive massive grooves and so we like about stray from the path they're one of the modern bands who do bring big fuck off grooves to hardcore and there is some really big although it's often chaotic and it's quite mathy and it's you know a bit weird and esoteric it still feels really like you would be able to bounce up and down to this Mm. oh yeah you could get absolutely mad and and by all accounts that is what they do when they're performing live i think uh i i i've heard comparisons to the kind of baby godzilla stroke heck kind of absolute insanity um but looking through their their kind of um re- you know their cv uh they toured on the final dillinger shows in the u.s they uh, in the u.s in australia sorry they've played with the chariot cavell attack cancer bats etc etc so you know i think they're a very well respected band and more than just fabled for their live shows i think they've got they've they have got those songs that make people want to move yeah i, I enjoyed this quite a lot i have to say i thought it was really good and um we'll be checking them out more i think because mm. they've got three other albums going back to 2016 yeah i just hadn't been away with them uh been away with them i, had, I definitely hadn't been away <laughs> with them i also hadn't been aware with uh, uh with, with them i hadn't been a, i hadn't been away with them aware with them or aware of them so um i hope i've covered, <laughs> hope I've covered <laughs> all, all the bases of, all the yeah. bases there totally unicorn <laughs> also have they nicked that from have they nicked that from fucking uh nathan barley or something totally unicorn that's what it sounds like they have probably yeah probably. i think that is definitely it's in that mold isn't it definitely yeah I, I haven't thought about nathan barley for so long i watched a couple of episodes of nathan barley a few months ago and i was like i can't watch this it now seems <laughs> way too serious for yeah. the world surrounding me to fucking <laughs> you know put up with it so uh yeah they're also from um wollongong in New yeah. South Wales, Australia, which is a funny name for a place. Why can't <laughs> Australia just give places normal names? Why yeah. is that? Like Little Piddlington what? down in Somerset. <laughs> yeah, which is a far, far better name. <laughs> far more uh, normal name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you stitched me up there, Sam. Cheers for that. Uh, but you're right, you're right. I mean, who am I to slag off Wollongong when, um, <laughs> you know, we have places like Little Piddlington. Great. Totally Unicorn uh is the name of the band and uh the album is called high spirits low life actually came out in february so if you're aware of this sort of stuff you are probably already aware of it i wasn't to be honest uh let's do your final record then it comes from worm rot the album's called hiss 
It's the full fourth full-length album from the Singapore-based grindcore band, full up to the 2016 album Voices. Now, uh, we actually were going to do this. We were going to get round to doing this, I'm sure, because I got sent this prior to its release. And I've been pretty, you know, vocal about the fact that most sort of metallic-y heavy music isn't really sort of grabbing me that much at the moment it's nothing coming out that i'm like oh my god i'm gonna go back and listen to that again and again and again and again but i listened to this and i thought well this is absolutely a bit of me if i am gonna listen to something heavy i'm gonna listen to this so their vocalist arif who's been involved with them since 2007 actually left after the recording of this record so they are currently looking for a new singer that is going to be a tough person to find someone who can do a more extreme gruesome vocal performance than this dude does here right um sam wormrot what do you reckon uh well the reason i bring brought it in was that yeah i think as you say you you especially i think remfrey to an extent have both been quite vocal that a lot of really really extreme metal and you know kind of metal across the board little bit formulaic quite similar quite samey hard to get excited about but uh i heard this the day it came out and I, I thought, oh, you know, it'll be an earache grindcore record, which in itself these days is a bit of a novelty. But I thought, let's give it a go. And by, I don't know, track five, track six, so maybe five minutes in, I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely fantastic. This is the most sort of varied grindcore I've heard for quite a while. And it goes to so many places. I just thought, yeah, I think that the Riot Act listenership who are into the extreme end of things are going to fucking love this. I mean, I can't imagine that they won't. No. Because I fucking love it. I mean, this is really very, very brutal grindcore. Mm. Fair play to them. 22 tracks. Was it 33 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, 32, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't that trick. Like modern metal has this thing where it's like kind of triggered studio sounding Mm. stuff, particularly in like grindcore and death metal where everything seems triggered and you like you're not you're not playing this live like you're not playing this live in a studio you're not you know this is all kind of pro tool to fuck definitely you can you can hear it and that's what kind of i find quite ironic when metal fans go oh pop artists aren't doing this now it's like well the bands that you like modern band like they the albums you listen to are cut and pasted shit to get like do you know what i mean like they're not playing shit live like what the fuck are you on about mm. anyway but this does sounds really fucking Maybe not live, but certainly analog. Oh, sound. yeah. It feels like that is a human being doing that take. Mm. And, I mean, essentially, this is a grindcore record. And I'm not sure what else you can really do with grindcore that, that no one who is familiar with this genre wouldn't have heard before. But they stick in a few little things that I think are cool. These kind of Andrew Eldritch-style gothy vocals, which makes, on certain parts, which makes it sound a bit like you know, Fear Factory doing Grindcore or, you know, when Barney from Napalm Death, you know, when they did that song, we are like, oh, you know, it sounds like Killing Joke mm. um, yes, and Sonic Youth sort yeah, of yeah. stuff that uh, that we were talking about on the on the last record. There's a touch of that in as well. And like, fuck me, they got some riffs as well. The chuggy parts are brilliant. Lovely old school stuff. There's a riff at the start of the song behind closed doors. And I was like, I've heard this a lot, but it is so good. That it just sold me on it first time, even though I have heard it 
quite a few times before. Mm. They've got gang vocals on this song, When Talking Fails, It's Time for Violence, and it has this big old two-step hardcore thing. Sounds like a kind of grindcore version of Agnostic Front. Um, they have really odd rhythmical passages as well. Um, there's a song called Your, Your Dystopian Hell, which is like, I'm sure Black Midi would appreciate that. <laughs> when I was talking about Black Midi's extremity, like, you know, that you go, well, that's, that's a similar sort of ideal, but just done in a, a completely different genre of music. They got 10 second long songs. There's a song called Unrecognizable on here. It's fucking amazing. It's only 10 seconds long. It's great. And it doesn't have to say it's welcome. It remains very, very brutal throughout it. And the quality of the songs are high. And for a genre, which is just basically like, how fast can you go and how loud can you scream and how much noise can you make? It's a pretty diverse listen as well. Mm. So... I think this is fucking wicked. I'm so... Fucking s- wicked. So pleased to hear you say that. I mean, yeah, I think it is massively diverse. I think, you know, even in the first track, there are elements of, like, black metal. Yeah, black metal and grindcore, maybe not doing anything new. But then I think you get to, like, Desolate Landscapes, um, which is one of the longer songs. It's to over two minutes, basically. And there's, a, <laughs> <laughs> there's elements of... I think there's bits of post-metal and, and more specifically kind of Blood Mountain era Mastodon kind of expansiveness in it. And it's I think it's the most obviously melodic that the album gets to be. And it's just by the, the end of its kind of closing moments, just absolutely gargantuan, but really, really frenzied. It's It does hit that halfway house between epic and brutal that not many grindcore bands, I think, could manage. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I think there's even bits of post-hardcore in there there's dark jazz there's sort of neoclassical influence and of course there is grindcore and db and two-step and cross-punk and everything you'd expect but i think there are so many little surprises in here and i mean if we were to try and do a track by track i mean we'd be here longer than the album lasts trying to dissect each and every little bit of it because there is so much going on here um sea of disease kind of yeah is the slower maybe more melodic intro to the song that i think does introduce elements of post-hardcore if I may say so, because it's got these hanging intricate chords and this kind of atonal riffing that, again, at this point in the album, you know, you're almost halfway through at this point, but it again promises there is still going to be more. I think this album never failed to surprise me from start to finish, and I've listened to it several times since it came out. It only came out last Friday. I put it on at least once every day. Uh, I think this is excellent. Excellent, nasty, horrible, but really inventive really ambitious more than anything grindcore i agree i think it is really really good and i did mean to do it i mean mm. shout out she um the guys over at uh ear eight records sent it to me and they were like you're gonna fucking love this and i was like okay well we'll see and i had because of just like the amount of shit that i had going on i i, I didn't initially get around to it straight away but i managed to listen to it probably about four days before it came out and i was just like god this is great and i listened to it once i was like this is fucking great and i thought well we will cover it at some point we will definitely cover it at some point so when you suggested it i was like oh yeah absolutely we should definitely 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 do this it is really good and i think it's you know it's it's com- to me it's comparable to you know napalm death at their like they're the, they're mm. the they're the a game right they're the fucking gold star oh, yeah, they are yeah. the untouchables from this genre and i think there's a lot of comparisons to be made between this record and you know what napalm death have been doing over the last few years and i haven't really heard any other grindcore although there's a lot of grindcore bands i really really like i haven't really heard any that i think are as broad and as vast and yet as 
adept at all of those styles as as mm. this proves to be other than napalm death i mean i guess like our pupil slicer a, gr- a grindcore band i'm not really sure that they are they are they're a grindcore band I think there's a little elements of grindcore in them but i don't think they're predominantly we call them a grindcore band i mean i would chuck them in as well i thought the last helpless album that we reviewed i mean again that is really good that album but in terms mm. of the scope and the breadth and the innovation not even the inno- i'm not i'm not even gonna say innovation because i think you know napalm death have done it so i'm not gonna call it innovation but the amount of different ideas and the amount of places it goes to this is more impressive than that yeah it's just so ambitious i mean i think if i was gonna if i was gonna do a four fans of i'd say utilitarian era napalm death it's got the flight of fancy of a nail mathrak and then sometimes it's got that real unhinged feeling of something like ken mode on loved i think that would be my summary and even that does not do justice to the entirety of this record. I think this is excellent. It's well good. It's well good. Anyway, there you go. It's called Hiss, and it's by Worm Rot. And you should probably go and listen to it if you like the heavy stuff. Hope you've enjoyed the show, by the way. We'll be back next week. Unfortunately, next week, I'll have absolutely no reason to talk about Duran Duran. No. So I'm not really sure what we're going to do. I'm not sure if we'll bother doing a show, nah. to be perfectly honest. But Sam will be back with me, and we'll try and eke out something i'm sure there'll be something to talk about but it does feel like a bit of a barren wasteland without a duran duran review let's do the shine down album could do the shine down <laughs> didn't they get to number two? Oh, i don't care no i mean i don't care i mean i think I, well i do care yeah. because I, I don't want the world to like shine down to be perfectly honest but and i haven't heard the album i don't need to hear the album do i obviously but um i think they got to number two on the on the, the the actual UK album charts, number really. two, number two by name by we nature. We have, for, yeah, mm. we have fallen hook line sinker <laughs> for that shit. Stupid idiots! I used to pride myself on being British and going, we don't fall for that crap. <laughs> American radio rock stuff, and we fucking do these days. And we like Elstorm. Ridiculous. Anyway. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. That's a different point for a different day. We'll be back next week talking about Shinedown. Definitely won't be talking about Absolutely (laughs) will not be talking about Shinedown. But we will be back next week and we'll find stuff to talk about. I think there's a new Oceans of Slumber album out and I think there's a new um, Imperial Triumphant album out as well. So I dare say Sam and I will be chatting about that amongst other things. We'll see you then. Thanks very much for listening. See you later.